Today's gospel passage begins by telling us that Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. Why, I wonder, was Jesus so determined to get away from it all? To not only get out of town, but even to get out of the region. And when he got there, he tried to hide out, avoiding everyone, but failing to do so. To have any reasonable insight to what is motivating Jesus in this moment, we must remember the events of the not too distant past that he had already experienced and even endured. To begin, imagine rising from the baptismal waters of the Jordan River while hearing a voice from heaven declaring, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Imagine then being driven by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days struggling to understand and accept the difference between what he was being called to do from what he was commanded to avoid. For long, Jesus learned that his cousin, his spiritual companion John, had been arrested. Despite the evident danger of his relationship with John, Jesus decided to return to his home in Galilee to begin a new life declaring to the people that the kingdom of God has come near. Soon he called his first disciples. Then on a preaching tour, he began teaching and healing the people in stunning, even miraculous ways. He became a public figure, a topic of conversation and controversy. Many think he is a new prophet. Some think he's lost his mind. His family tries to restrain him. He is rejected in his hometown, but continues teaching in the villages. He sends his disciples on their first mission to call the people to a life of spiritual renewal in God's kingdom. Then his beloved son, John, is beheaded by Herod's order. While still in his grief, his disciples come back to tell him what they had done and thought. So he takes them to a deserted place so they can all rest, have a simple meal. But the crowds find them nonetheless, and Jesus ends up feeding them by the thousands instead. Then he tells his disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. He says, farewell to them, and goes up on the mountain to pray in silence. In the morning, he sees that the disciples are still straining at the oars, so he comes toward them and a leisurely stroll on the water. He intends to pass them by, but they are in a panic until he calms the waters and their fears. They arrive in a small village on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, once again, the people recognize him, and the whole region rushes to bring their sick to him, hoping to touch even the fringe of his cloak. There is no escape. By now, the authorities, namely the Pharisees and the scribes, have taken notice, 
and have come from Jerusalem to see for themselves what the fuss is all about. They were troubled to see that some of Jesus' disciples had departed from the tradition of the elders. How so? They are eating without washing their hands, and the officials want to know why. This is not for them a health and hygiene problem, but it is a defiling, a breach of the purity laws and traditions that have ordered their life as a people in ways large and small for generations. It's the same question that Jesus has already dealt with in the past. Why do your disciples not fast like the Pharisees? Or why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? By plucking grains of wheat to eat as the disciples pass through the grain fields in the course of their mission? Jesus answered that particular question by teaching them. The Sabbath is made for people, not people for the Sabbath. Now, once again, the Pharisees are criticizing his ministry by focusing on details of the purity law. Once again, Jesus is trying to teach them, one way or another, that the law was given for the good of the people not people for the good of the law. It reminds me of a moment later in Jesus' life when he said to Nicodemus, you are a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? No one loves the law and the tradition of the elders more than Jesus. He loves it to the point of exasperation when he sees it used to serve human purposes rather than God's. On the question of eating with defiled hands, he practically explodes. Quoting the prophet Isaiah, he said to them, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrine. This is no small point. Generations upon generations have suffered for the failure to understand the difference. So Jesus called to the crowd and said, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. We don't know what the people made of this idea. We do know that the disciples asked Jesus to say something more about it. And he said to them with an air of disappointment, then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that it is what comes from within the human heart that defiles? It is in this mood of weariness and frustration that Jesus set out for Tyre and he hoped respite. Imagine Jesus along the road, furious at times by the self-serving abuse of the tradition of the elders, desperate to open the hearts of the people to the gracious love of God, and keenly aware of the enormous task before him to awaken the children of God to the glories of life in his kingdom. But there is no escape. A woman, a foreigner, comes to Jesus directly 
with the plea to cast out the unclean spirit in her daughter. How many grounds of defilement, of impurity, can you count here? Jesus had already set aside in his community some of the precepts and attitudes about the so-called defilements of women and unclean spirits. But a Gentile woman with an impure daughter, that was too much. That was beyond his charge. And he let her know it by comparing, helping her and her daughter to throwing good food on the floor to feed a dog. It was harsh. It was offensive. It was unnecessary. And it was unrighteous to say so. Now, there are no end of sermons and interpretations regarding this moment that argue otherwise in order to sustain an idea that Jesus was always and everywhere perfect in all things. If that were so, I would fear for our hopes to follow him in anything but the most trivial manner. Supposedly, in this case, he was just being provocative, confronting the woman to see what she might say, as he was wont to do with hypocrites and wannabes. But in those cases, they deserved to be chastised. She did not. I suspect he was reluctant to face the prospect of yet another mass of humanity following his every move and vented his irritation at her expense. But she turned out to be neither a hypocrite, a wannabe, or defiled in the least. She turned out to be a kindred spirit. She spoke from her heart to his heart in a language akin to his own across all the categories of pure and impure, Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor. Here the relationship is only human to human, child of God to child of God. To my mind, this was a moment when what we call the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit occurred. With the many attributes that Jesus demonstrated during his life, we can recognize here what has been called radical openness. It is the capacity to listen and learn by lovingly opening ourselves to the other and a willingness to change when our bias or ignorance is exposed. Jesus modeled it beautifully. It is an expression of humility and invites challenges to our perceptions of reality. Later, when the time was ripe, Peter and Paul set out as disciples to share the good news with the world at large, and they realized that God, through Jesus, had already opened the possibility of inclusion for those who were open to receiving him. Radical openness is the basis upon which Trinity's aspiration to be a place of radical hospitality rests. At Trinity, we declare ourselves an open and welcoming congregation, and we strive to make it so in many ways. We are learning we cannot have one without the other. The Racial Justice Survey, for instance, which over 500 of you have recently participated, is a step in the direction of openness 
and an indication of who we hope to become. Let us be grateful and learn from the witness of the unnamed woman who provoked Jesus to enlarge his self-understanding and sense of mission. May we be open to uncomfortable truth as well. And as we hear in the epistle of James, since faith without works is dead, may we have a lively faith here at Trinity. Amen.